Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. And also Leah Jacobson. Uh, hello, Leah. Hi. I'm also <laughs> so polite to you because you're such a nice person. Uh, but you've got you got some uh, you brought your big guns with you today. You know you're like you're pr- you're preaching the truth, and that's what we love here at the Catholic Cafe. Oh. You get an extra donut today. Oh, well, I've already had like three. So. Well, we went to Gibson's Donuts in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, we imported donuts into the Catholic Cafe because apparently the Catholic Cafe's donuts aren't good enough. Well, I, I did get a bad look from our waitress. She yes. was not pleased. <laughs> That's okay. They're very good. Gibson's Donuts, I highly recommend them. But Leah Jacobson is the CEO and founder of the Guiding Star Project. You can find out more about that wonderful organization at guidingstarproject.com. Uh, Leah's a wife, mother of seven. Uh, she's from Minnesota. And she's also written a great book. I don't know what's great because I haven't read it. She just showed it to me today. She's flashing it over there right now. She's waving it, saying, promote the book, promote the book. She's not saying that. I'm shameless. <laughs> no, she is. She, her book is called Holistic Feminism. I love that term, holistic feminism. It's a, it's a new feminism, so that's well, awesome. And whole with a W, which is incredibly important because we are whole people. And there's that's a subtitle right. to that. What is your subtitle? Healing the Identity Crisis Caused by the Women's Movement. But wait, didn't the women's movement create a great, great opportunities for women? Oh, well, that's arguable. Um, yeah. I, I do think it opened some some frontiers for us, which I'm grateful for. And there have definitely been gains uh, from great women. But yeah. as a movement itself, I would, I would question whether or not the women's movement has been helpful on whole for many women. Well, that's why this is a good book and a timely book to read uh, right now. And it's available at lumenpress.org. That's L-U-M-E-N press.org. And also on Amazon, you can find it there. Um, we are in the middle of a six-part series. So it's three hours, three hours of talk on feminism. <laughs> that's how important that Sam and I think this is. Uh, and that's why we brought you, Leah, because uh, you are you are helping us immensely with uh, with your insights here. Uh, well, I'm incredibly grateful. You know, when the men of the church understand that that women have a unique voice and experience that needs to be heard. There you go. That. Oh, I think Pope Francis has been sp- saying that for a little while, and so we're just now hearing him here at the Catholic Cafe. So we don't want to be heretics. We want to make sure that we do things the right way, and that's that's what we're. Yeah. Well, okay. All right, Sam's a heretic sometimes. <laughs> But today we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna further venture here uh, in feminism where feminism can lead, the, and I'm talking about the old feminism, not the new feminism. What do we call the old feminism? Well, we call it by waves: first, second, third. All right. So first wave, which led to second wave, which led to third wave, which wave, which is leading to fourth wave, yeah. uh, which is even scarier, I imagine. Um, but but there, but we want that fourth wave really to be overtaken by this new feminism, this this holistic feminism, this idea. Amen. Uh, that uh, there's something sacred and beautiful uh, about uh, womanhood and, and that, we, that we need to find that again because that really is the original feminism. Amen. Right? Yeah. I've, I've, I've called uh, you know, Mary the original feminist and people, and Sam was like going, man, you're going to get letters. <laughs> it's like, well, only if you look at feminism as a bad word. That's true. I mean, feminism in it, at its core really should be a deep love for the quality of females. Right. It, it just has turned out to be the opposite. And so I get that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, to me, uh, uh, our mother Mary really espouses what it means truly to be uh, a woman. 
mm-hmm. right? And that's a that's a beautiful, beautiful concept. And that's what we need to we need to 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 find again, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that your book will help us to do. But one of the uh, this this starting from the very first wave of feminism, I don't know that they would have ever thought at that time when they were espousing some of these philosophies, theologies, thoughts, theories, and start putting them out there. If they ever thought there would be suddenly a time where it would be encouraged that a person would choose what gender they were after birth. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think they had any idea. I mean, this movement really was... It's over 100 years old now, the movement. And when you look at when feminism first began with the suffragists and, and their work on uh, voting rights for women... Which is important that women yes, vote. <laughs> it is. It is. We like the right to vote. That is it's good. That is an authentic gain that the women's movement has brought us. Um, but they really came from the position of defending women as wives and as mothers in the family. The family was the key concern, and women wanted to have a voice in protecting the family. That's also why most suffragists were also prohibitionists, and they saw alcohol as a barrier. Destructive to the family. They saw it as a destructive force And probably out of actual personal witness. Yes. Right? They've seen what alcoholism does to people, especially men. Absolutely. uh, How bad that can be. Yeah, so they had no concept, I don't believe, for the gender confusion that would come as a result of, you know, the second and the third wave of feminist activity because it was very clear to them that a woman is a woman is a woman. You know, her body is the same um, across, you know, cultures and across times and that the experience of woman, they assumed and presumed that it would remain a universal, you know, certainty. Right. You know, that there would be fertility. And I, and there I would know be. of late we've all heard, I mean, it seems like the word gender is, when if you were to look do a word search, you know, in social media and, and all kinds of media, you'd find that word used a lot. Like a word cloud? Like oh a my social gosh, media yes. Word cloud. Oh yeah, yeah. It no, would, it would, gender would be at the top of the list. Yeah. And I know we're all familiar with terms like, uh, well, gender identity, uh, gender dysphoria, um, gender selection. Um, and then, of course, uh, this idea of gender ideology. Yep. And I don't know if people really know what we're talking about when we say those things. So from your perspective, help us understand a little bit about what, what gender ideology is. Well, gender ideology really began kind of in that second wave of the feminist movement. And this was not one of the main things that they were fighting for or advocating for, but it became a, a part of sex theory. You know, um, at the time when we had sexologists talking about right. how sex is being expressed in uh, the sexual revolution, especially in the 1970s, um, there was a, a very conscious point within the movement where they decided that sex and gender are actually not necessarily the same. There was a divorce between the mind and the body that took place. Uh, a dualism began to kind of grow where your mind could go one direction and your body... There you go with those Catholic heresies kind of, well, again. Yeah, it kind of goes back to Descartes with, uh, I think, therefore I am. It's just a recapitulation of that. Yeah, yeah. and there's church, there's church heresies that are basically founded on dualism. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, and that's what was happening there. It was just being repackaged with a new name of, you know, my sex is not my gender. Um and so there, that has become, I think, we unwittingly began to adopt that over the last 30 to 40 years where we've stopped questioning whether or not your, uh, your sex, your biological body that you were born with, whether or not that has a t- determination um, upon your gender identity. There is, there's a separation there that we unwittingly, I think, have just kind of Adopted. What's the result of that, out of curiosity, would you say, in terms of uh, the ability of a person to embrace 
their womanhood if they're not able to look at their, their biological guideposts. I think it's very sad. I think that's why my book has that title of, you know, healing the identity crisis caused by the women's movement. It's a loss of identity. It's a loss of who I was created to be because my body doesn't matter necessarily. My body is not going to give me any clues as to what will bring me purpose and fulfillment and what I was created for. We no longer look at our body. Yeah, that's sad. That, that and, and it's also a little scary. I would agree with you. I think it's incredibly scary because it becomes a wide open uh, field of choices. You can pick anything. You don't have to be a man. You don't have to be a woman. You don't have to be anything. You can create any sort of persona or avatar that feels right in a situation, but it also is able to be changed at any point too. From your perspective, what what's beautiful, let's say, just about a woman's body, about her nat- the natural processes of her body? What is it about her body and those natural processes that reveals womanhood that you know what's wisdom that's being lost here uh it's <laughs> i'm either gonna sound like um like a crazy kind of organic hippie to some <laughs> that's fine we like that <laughs> or i'm gonna sound like a, a woman hating like patriarch like barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen because both sides i think of women we've this pendulum has swung both directions so far that women are only meant to be mothers they're only meant to live in this place or woman is free spirit and can be whatever she wants. She's a goddess of her own body. And, and those are both incorrect understandings of the woman, I believe. I think that when we kind of come into the middle and we just look at the experience of woman and the lives of women that have been great that we've witnessed, you know, in the saints as, um, as single women, as consecrated women, as mothers of virgin martyrs, all these different ways that women have lived out their uh, beautiful femininity, we see these gifts of, you know, um, connection and relationship and uplifting other women and um it's just this essence of acceptance and seeing um women's bodies teach us that our body every single month that we go through our menstrual cycle we have a point of you know great surrender a great understanding that i'm not in control that god ultimately is in control and i i submit to that each month as my as my cycle goes through this phase and in the next phase as your hormones shift you know your creativity comes alive and you're out in the world and you're putting things out new ideas new new place you know going new places you know exploring new things Um, and then the next phase of your cycle maybe you know you're you're connecting with another person very intimately. It's very focused on another. So a woman's menstrual cycle in many ways speaks to these seasons, you know, these unique parts of a woman that I don't think men have a full understanding of in terms of just that you have that that beautiful stability <laughs> of a steady hormonal pattern of testosterone straight across the board. It doesn't dip and wane the same way that women's hormones well, and do. It's not, yeah, exactly. And, it, and a lot of people, especially I think men who misunderstand a lot of things, that's why there's a distrust and, and a sense that a woman is unstable when in fact you said the word pattern several times. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's very predictable. Very. <laughs> I mean, so much so that <clears throat> I, re- I remember... Um, you know, as a kid, my mom had her little dady, her little calendar in her purse, and oh, she wow. had little stars on certain days. And it wasn't until a certain age that I was understood what those little stars were. Yeah, on yeah. on her calendar, um, and so it's very predictable. Well, she was a smart woman. I, I think a lot of women in that generation lost the ability to understand 
their own cycle. We have to reteach it now. And to appreciate it yeah. and to understand that I'm, you know, maybe not at my best moment to be, uh, you know, interacting with people right now. <laughs> maybe today is a day where I'm going to be best, you know, at home taking care of myself. Well, what about a woman's body also in terms of there are parts of a woman's body that reveal her to be a nurturer, reveal a woman as in her, in her as receptive. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. My my dad, he taught me that there were pitchers and catchers. You know, oh. baseball <laughs> <laughs> The woman was the catcher and the man was the pitcher. So I thanks dad for that overly simplistic sports analogy of the human oh sexual reproductive process. <laughs> but anyway, this talk of birds and the bees brought to you by Dynasties of Memphis. No, so so now at the core of that, yes. yeah, this is not the talk for everybody, right? <laughs> but but it's too real for some people. Yours yours was a much better thing. There there are yeah. some beautiful aspects of the of the woman's body that reveal its uh, uh, its by its nature Absolutely. towards nurturing, comforting, Absolutely. cuddling, holding, bonding, receiving, receiving, taking yeah. in. Yeah, the, the piece I think that women have lost in many ways, and maybe we've never heard it, or maybe we flat out rejected it, but our bodies have always been made for the other. Every part of our body is, it talks about a relationship, you know, about how we receive our husband into ourselves, how we protect and nurture our child within ourselves, how we provide nourishment from our body. Every part of our body points to the fact that we were made for relationship and that we really are the ones that, we're the threads that hold communities and societies oh, yeah. together. It is women, and our bodies are and a the conduit reminder. through which God the Father saved the world. Amen. Right? Jesus came through this conduit specifically through the woman. Amen. And and we we people that think that this is a misogynistic church need to understand that God chose a woman. You know, Jesus revealed Himself first to a woman. It's like the the women were the ones that were actually funding Jesus's mm-hmm. ministry. Mm-hmm. It was the the widows that were going around with their money who were actually paying for those apostles to go out and preach. Well, and and God waited on on Mary's yes. You know, one of the yeah. obviously the the big. The fiat. The, the fiat, yes. And we have right... We, well, he waited... His entire plan of salvation rested upon the consent of a woman. And one of the messaging that we have within the feminism movement that I think a lot of people do need to hear is a message against rape culture, which Poetry on Ball II, uh, he didn't use that phrase, but in terms of uh, men sexualizing, objectifying, being violent, including in sexual ways towards uh, women... Uh, uh, towards each other, but in a special way also towards women. Uh, that, that's something that needs to change. And I think God showed us the deepest, profoundest respect. Literally, the entire plan of salvation rested upon waiting for the woman's yes. Mm. Yeah. No, and I think that's an incredibly important point because as we talk about what John Paul II termed the new feminism and talked about women embracing their natural gifts and their bodies, we have to, we would be completely remiss if we missed the point that in order for a new feminism to rise and take root, it requires a new type of man. It requires a man that is capable and willing to understand and work with his partner on her fertility. Uh, and that is something that I think old feminism uh, in many ways destroyed that expectation for men. I know. And also, as I've mentioned before, men are suffering their own identity crisis. Yeah. Right at the same time. So where they need to step up, they're not. Agreed. 100% agree. And, and we know, like, I, I have an amazing husband. My husband, Josh, is an am- amazingly strong man. And so I know men are capable of this. And I know that when they are called to it, 
they become a much better version of themselves that they didn't even know was possible. And so this is freeing for men in many ways to be freed from this expectation to be kind of toxic, I guess, like that toxic, toxic masculinity, that, that guy who's always on the prowl or the guy that's playing the game, you know, whatever, whatever it is that men feel. The macho man. Yeah, that expectation, really. The mark of a true man is somebody who waits upon a yes. Let me ask you a question, you know, so we've... Now we began talking about the gender ideology and we explored why sex and gender shouldn't be separated. What happens when they are separated with this gender ideology? Well, your identity. I mean, any guidepost for your identity is just thrown out the window. Um, if your gender is no longer dependent upon your genitalia, your, your body that you exist within, uh, it becomes very difficult to know who God created you to be. It becomes very difficult to follow any of the clues that he's going to give you in your life in terms of every person has their own unique gift of, um, you know, strengths. You know, we have things like Clifton Strengths Finder and we have these personality inventories and all these unique uh, markers of who we were created by God and what we were created to do. Um, our body is just as important as a marker as our preferences. Well, what is it replaced with? If that identity is taken... What is it replaced with within the gender ideology? I mean, it's placed with whatever at that moment is catching your attention. It's placed with whatever you desire or want in that moment. Um, and, and you lose some, if you're not church, if you're not you know, safely housed within the sacraments and receiving that grace on a weekly basis, you become very much at the, at the um, how do you say it? I guess your temptations. I mean, they can overrule. Or the whims of a culture. The whims, that would be the word. But within the culture of those who promote the gender ideology, what would you say victimhood status would be uh, a part of sort of if we're not going to define ourselves by our yeah. bodies, what are we going to define ourselves? Well, I guess the victimhood status then is anything that's preventing you from getting what you want in that moment. Like, I want to be this. And my body is saying that I can't. So now I'm a victim to my body. Or um, some authority figure is saying, I can't have that. So now I'm a victim of this social construct. Or we become compounding victim statuses when we don't just rest in who we were created to be. But aren't we sometimes victims? Is it bad to talk about victim status? Or what's the bad part of it, Gosh, Sam, you are really pushing. <laughs> this is a good conversation. Sam's a victim. He wants to be ratified. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I really appreciate this conversation because I think that the women's movement in, in many ways for 100 years has really rested upon that identity of victim. And it has galvanized and found strength in that victim status. And that's exactly where the movement is continuing to go. As we see with intersectional feminism, we begin to see compounding victim statuses. And that's who deserves to hold the microphone is the person with the greatest level of, um, you know, oppression, uh, which is a sad way to view the world because you never rest in gratitude. When you are constantly a victim and the, um, someone is holding you down, you can never look at what have I been given? What is good about my life? What is good about my body? Who am I created uniquely to be? And that never gets to come forward. I know. And, and going back to that original question Sam had about like what, what, what do you lose with gender ideology? And essentially, you lose a sense of meaning and purpose and joy. I mean, you, you are no longer purposeful. Yeah. Right, you're no longer created for a purpose. You and you think that you're discovering yourself, the true self. Which really, what you're doing is you're 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 muddying the waters even beyond any kind of recognition. 
And I would say that it's not that you're discovering yourself. It's that you're too busy creating yourself. Yeah. Okay. Exactly right. Better, better way to say it because you are creating, trying. So you're rewriting natural law. You're creating yourself. You're becoming your own creator. You no longer are receiving the gift that you are. Mm. You're trying to create the gift you want to be. We should take a minute and talk about um, that. There are some uh, psychological aspects to this, and and there there is a true sadness. So I don't want to paint people who are experiencing gender dysphoria and are struggling with this in this modern mm-hmm. culture uh, as evil as as bad people as uh, you know. I, I, we're looking at it from the perspective of like that that first wave of feminism, second and third, and going into the fourth. I mean, I, I can say that those those waves weren't good. But the people that are experiencing this, I, I want to be clear that uh, that that there is great love, mm-hmm. um, and there's great acceptance of people in all walks of life and in all phases of, of of their own understanding of their life. And there's compassion, and there it really is mercy uh, for all these folks. And I just want to make sure that we we're not trying to castigate because at the heart of this, and I I don't know whether you're. Um, you know, uh, a crazy hippie, or if you're like this iron-fisted, uh, angry woman, whichever one you you thought you were, I really think there's some love and compassion in here. That what what you're telling people is is helping them to discover their true self as God sees them, as God names them and calls them. Well, I think the primary point that we need to be making is that no person is a mistake. Like, no part of how any human body was created was ever a mistake of, like, a cosmic joke of some sort. God was very intentional with the creation of your body. It has a purpose. It has a meaning. Uh, And to not fear that, to trust that there might be something in order. Do you you think that some of this also is tied to uh, what I I think has started to happen here in recent times to a lack of actual belief in an actual and real God? I would say absolutely, because we no longer trust that there's something in order above us. We think, you know, we are the God. We are the ultimate uh, creator of our destiny and of our, our life. And we don't see it in terms of free will any longer. We see it in terms of, like, ultimate will. Like, I, it is my will that will determine everything that happens. Um, but there is, uh, we're throwing out that that ground floor gift from our God of, I'm giving. I'm breathing you into existence. I'm giving you a unique soul. I'm giving you a body to live out this life, and with that comes purpose and love and dignity and opportunity for relationship, fulfillment, joy, all those things. I mean, Jesus said He wanted our joy to be complete. Amen. Uh, and, and and that's what we're that's what we're called. We really are called to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the ways in which we can discuss gender ideology is really from the perspective of: Do you believe in God? And Amen. when you get to the heart of that, what you'll start to find out that a lot of people ultimately don't. I think even people that sit in the pew are struggling with, does God really exist? Mm-hmm. And, and are going he, through emotions. And the nature of God. Is God a loving, intentional, purposeful God? Or is God the you know confetti fairy that just is like, well, okay, here you go. You get a boy body. You get this body part. But Oops, it, sorry. I messed up that. Yeah. Sorry about the hippopotamus, folks. That was a mistake. <laughs> you know? I, yeah. Because... Uh, to to think that God made a mistake, well, ultimately at the heart of that, there's a, a huge theological problem. Absolutely. He's not God if he made a mistake. Absolutely. Right? He can't be God mm-hmm. and make a mistake. That's by definition, you know, God is truth. And it's like, okay, so then how can true be untrue at the same time? And I don't think the people have thought through that. That's a 
challenge. What would you say to someone who said, you know, I was born a man. I was I was born with, uh, you know. All the man, all the male reproductive organs, uh, and yet I'm convinced that I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, and they share with you their journey to that point, and they yeah, say, and go further and say that I, I I realized when I was about five years old, I realized then I just read this, I, yeah. I realized that that's when I I knew for sure that I was supposed to be a girl. Yeah, and and, and if, if they were to say you're excluding me. From feminism, and that's mm-hmm. cruel, and that's mean. What would they say? What would you say to that person who feels excluded by your definition? Well, I, I guess I would really ask, you know, what do you believe a woman to be? Like, what do you believe it means to be a woman? Because I don't think you can understand that fully with the body you've been given. Um, I think that the female experience is something that you can't just. Co-op. You can't just say I'm a woman now because I, I like high heels and lipstick and these things that are so like stereotypically feminine. That is not the essence of a woman. It is the experience of having a, a, a body shaped differently. And it really, that's actually demeaning of women. It's incredibly demeaning of women. Yeah. And so when you give you have nice shoes, by the way, you know, I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> just kidding. that was a joke. Don't write emails. <laughs> I can't even see your shoes. They're under the table. But when woman of the year you know, goes to a biological male that is incredibly beautiful by the standards of what a woman is supposed to look like, every woman of great accomplishment who isn't beautiful by those standards, that's incredibly demeaning. Yeah, yeah. It limits who they are capable of being in society. Well, Uh, and it's it's really just saying that our female experience is nothing unique, nothing special. If anybody can walk in and become a woman... You know, all those years of, of adolescence as you're growing into your female body and you're starting your cycles and you're dealing with the female body, uh, none of that matters to the yeah. experience of woman. And we have a right, I think, as women to protect our spaces and to protect our experience and to protect our unique voice. And to be, uh, I say, you know, in a nice way, proud about it. Absolutely. To exalt it, the exalted woman. To Absolutely. raise it up and elevate it and let everyone know. And this conversation is going to get continue and continue in our society we need to understand this the the ultimate really destructiveness of gender ideology um uh, because like we're seeing it even more pronounced and right now there's dilemmas like as the olympics start um now we have we have people with male bodies participating in female uh, competitions and they're likely to win yeah um, and yep. this is this is and it's not just about um, whether uh, it's a it's a bad thing for you know them to take away those uh, those gold medals or silver medals or whatever, but really it goes to the heart of what we're talking about is are who who are you? Yep. And who were you meant to be? Yep. And why are you ashamed of the body you were given? Amen. And that's that's a challenge. And, and again, want to reiterate that these are there are good people and there are people that that are not experiencing the same dysphoria who are in favor of this dysphoria or this thing and they mean well it's just it's misplaced and sad and let's continue to pray and let's ask uh, the blessed mother to be with us and to watch over us uh, in this great dilemma of gender ideology Hail Mary full of grace the Lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb Jesus Holy Holy Mary Mary, Mother Mother of God God, pray pray for for us sinners sinners, now and at the hour of our death Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes 
or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.